Welcome to the Inspire Teacher's Guide podcast. We are Kim Wilkins and Laura Woldridge, whose two teachers joined the podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We have some guests today. These are our favorite podcasts. We have guests on mm-hmm. with us. But before we get started, Laura, let's go back over what we learned last week. Okay. Well, last week I shared information about behavior, which is my favorite topic. And um, as I was reflecting back upon um, all the information that we discussed, it just led me back to my favorite teaching word, and that is, all my Williams people can say it with me, intentional. (laughs) Intentional. Um, You know, I just think about really anything we do, but especially uh, managing behavior and helping kids and and myself improve my behavior is if I'm going to really make a difference, I have to get to the roots of problems. And that's with my own life, with my own kids, and especially with the kiddos that I'm teaching. And um, those positions that we shared, uh, maybe we should review them, Kim. What do you think? Well, we do. I have them written down, actually. So that kind of brings me to my, what kind of stood out to me was that everything has a root cause. There's Mm -hmm. some, there's some reason behind a child's behavior. So we need to look at those root causes. Is it that they're attention seeking or um, connection seeking? I think more often together. Yeah. Connection kind of connection and attention. Um, They feel embarrassed. They'd rather act out than be embarrassed. Yeah. Cause they're avoiding that failure. Yeah. They're avoiding failure. They're probably angry and it may have absolutely nothing to do with us. It may be something that happened in car line. It may be something that happened before they left the house, but they're angry about something. Mm-hmm. And they need a way to vent that emotion. Um, they want to feel in control. Yeah, that's me. So most of my behaviors stem from me seeking control. Um, and you've got a lot of kiddos who do that. And in and, and not... Um, always apparent ways too. Yeah. Mine is the fear of failure. Mm. Like I'm scared I'm going to fail at something. So then I end up not trying. And I think as a child, I probably acted a little silly because I was scared of failing at something. Some kids are just very energetic and they need to move Mm -hmm. up and moving. And they're not built for sitting at a desk Mm -hmm. all day long. I saw you tapping your leg before we started. (laughs) Okay. I know. It's true. I need to And that's that's something that I'm just picturing you. If I'm teaching you, I need to be very aware that you're not doing that to get on my nerves. You're doing that because you you're just filled up with it. Mm-hmm. But as a teacher, I might be like, man, she is just trying to pester the heck out of me or whatever. Um, and that is so not the reason. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. kids are bored. They're bored with the activity. It's a boring activity. They're bored yeah. with the topic. They really don't care about ancient Rome. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. I, can't. I know. Or really, as a literacy teacher, I pick books I love. I love historical fiction. Well, little boys don't love historical fiction. They do not want to know about that. They want to read graphic novels and um, fantasy. So they may be just bored with the topic. And they may be uninformed about the social constructs. They may not know how to behave in a particular situation. So those are the seven. And seven. And then the one I made up was um, fear, that a lot of times we'll see people do what they do because of um, fear or scared or something like that. Um, I just wanted to bring up another thing from Conscious Discipline is Uh, Becky Bailey, she gives the um, visual of an iceberg and, you know, out in the ship or out in the ocean when the Titanic was sailing, um, the iceberg, you could just barely see it at the top. Um, But what made the Titanic crash is that massive iceberg below the ocean. And so that is really, guys, what we're looking for when we are trying to help kids with behavior or help our our own self with our own behavior and reactions is digging deep um, and looking below the surface. So I really want to challenge you to use that information and maybe even listen to episode 29 again um, 
because we have got to start thinking what might be going on with this kiddo and how can I positively feed those needs. And um, I'm going to recommend Atlas at the Heart. Oh, yeah. I read two more chapters of that last night, just trying to parent adult children. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura, for reminding me that I needed to do that. Yeah. But it helps you look at that what's under the water. What's below the surface that we can't see and that we don't really understand. And just really digging into those emotion words that we throw around and we may really not even understand ourselves. And once you really dig into them, I think it really brings to light maybe something that is below the surface. I mean, I have Atlas of the Heart on my Kindle in paperback form and audio form. (laughs) I use it as a resource guide um, and I, cannot recommend it enough to you as teachers um, or as parents or as coaches to really explore the emotions because you really are helping kids work through those emotions every single day. Okay. So today, Laura, we have some guests with us, some school psychologists who I think are the smartest people anywhere in a district. And they they are going to help us learn how they support teachers and students and the school in general. All right. Well, I'm super excited. I will give our drum roll and then you can share their names. How about that? That sounds great. Okay. So today we have not one, but two guests. And here's our drum roll. They are? They are from my school, Nicole Brewer and Tyler Crittenden. Thank you guys so much for willing to, for being willing to come on. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. How about Nicole? We'll start with you and then Tyler will hear um, about your experience and background, but just give us kind of an idea of, um, of you. Who are you? Okay. Um, well, I actually used to teach. Um, I taught here whenever the junior high was the old high, or I'm sorry, yeah, the junior high was old high school. So I taught high school science um, here for five years. Before that, I actually taught at Truman. I taught seventh grade life science. And then while I was um, teaching here, I was going back to school to get my school psychology degree. So then I left and I worked at the special ed co-op, the Craighead County Special Ed Co-op, which no longer exists and served um, four different districts and then came back here. Like this is my seventh year back here um, to be a school psychology specialist here. So, okay. So, I've I've been doing this for about what twelve years now, I guess twelve years. So, um, I actually got my undergrad in agricultural science. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, and I minored in psychology. Um, and I'd originally decided to go back to school, um, cause I was going to be a counselor, like a mental health therapist. Um, and once I applied and started going through that process, um, I met Dr. Hall, who's, you know, head of the school psych program at ASU. And, uh, he kind of taught me into trying the school psych thing and, um, I really liked it. And so the rest is history. Um, I started out my first year at Greenbrier. Um, I was brand new, fresh out of grad school and, um, spent my first year there. Um, and I loved it. It was great. Um, I hated to leave. We just, my wife and I ended up wanting to relocate back to Jonesboro. Um, so I worked out of the NEA co-op, um, in Walnut Ridge for three years. Um, and I've been at Valley View since then. Um, so this is my ninth year at Valley View. Oh, it's an NEA yeah, I loved it there too. Yeah, it's a great place. Yes, that's where she is right now. I loved it there. I, the only reason I ended up leaving is because of the the travel and uh, oh, yeah. Valley View was close to home, so I didn't have to commute. And um, the at the time there was only two of us at the co op, so the caseload was a lot. And so yeah, I, yes, yeah. So um, that was really the main reason that I ended up leaving the co-op, but I, I loved it there too. It was a great experience. It is a great experience. I loved working at the co-op. Okay. So. Hey, Kim, well, I think we might need to like, tell us what is a school psychologist? Yeah. People may not even know. Yeah. You want to go? You go. <laughs> <laughs> this may uh, be the hardest question of all. Yeah. When people say, what do you do? I'm like, oh man, I, I'm yeah. not sure what I do. <laughs> A little, we do a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, our 
main role is um, doing the evaluations, testing, and um, helping determine eligibility for um, special ed placement. Um, but we also help with um, behavior. Um, we do functional behavior assessments and, and help write behavior plans. Um, honestly, here at Valley View, we don't do a ton of those, but I mean, we do a handful each year. Um, we do lots of uh, consultation with teachers, um, just helping with any kind of questions, behavioral questions, or if a kid is struggling academically, um, you know, how to support them, you know, if they should refer or not. Um, we help our special ed staff a lot with um, some of the special ed paperwork and um, all those kind of things, consult with parents, um, sit in meetings a lot, just discuss things from curriculum to dyslexia to behavior. Um, uh, there's lots of different things that we get pulled into as far as in meetings and things. So um, I don't know if you think of anything else. A lot of roles. They, they yes. really support the dyslexia therapist too. Yes. We, when I first started here and when Nicole came on too, a couple of years after that, we spent a lot of time helping, like they would do the level twos and um, we would help them how to interpret some of the data. Um, and, and if a kid had characteristics, what we should do, but um, they've had several years of experience now doing that. So we don't, we don't help quite as much on that side of things. Um, but there are a few complicated cases that they ask us to come in and help sometimes. Yeah. They're getting more complicated. Yes. They're getting very complicated. <laughs> they yes. are. We're doing a better job in core. Yes. So it looks a little bit different than it did five years ago, even. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Used to, if you had a kid that was referred for, um, like reading and spelling difficulties, some of those red flags for dyslexia, uh, you could almost bank on the fact you do a phonological processing test. They're going to show something there. Um, but like Kim said, the core instruction is so good with the phonics and things early on now, it's it's getting harder and harder to catch that phonological piece. Mm. Um, so it's it's definitely a challenge at times. Well, I think uh, this that, that was good that you mentioned all those things because I know many people I work with, I think they feel like school psychologists are the testers, mm -hmm. but they need to know that you're also a resource. Um, I love that you said, you know, you can have discussions and give ideas and share recommendations um, because we know so many teachers are just needing some help and some advice. So I love right. it that, hey, you're you're another person um, that we can put in our arsenal of um, people who can help us. Yes. And we, you know, we are spread pretty thin, like Nicole and I serve K through 12. Um, so we're not always necessarily in a particular building, but teachers can reach us at any time. You know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of them have our cell phone number or they can send us a Google message or email. Um, but we're always willing, as long as they understand that they to reach out to us and let us know if they have a question, um, we're more than willing to try to go and help any way that we can. And if we don't know the answer, we usually know who we can ask to get yeah. the answer. So. <laughs> So if you're in Arkansas, um, you ha you may have one at your school. And if you don't have a school psychologist at your school, you'll probably have one at your co-op or some, somebody that you could get access to. I'm not for sure about other states, but that um, if you're in another state and that may be something that you explore about, um, you know, a school psychologist that is could be a resource for you. So ask your administrator administration. So explain what kinds of disability or learning differences you're able to test for. Um, well, we have 12 different disability categories. And so um, like specific learning disability, um, other health impairment, visual impairment, hearing impairment, orthopedic impairment, um, speech language impairment, multiple disabilities, emotional disturbance. Autism, Autism, intellectual disability. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are the different disability categories. Um, we do, you know, look at dyslexia and things uh -huh. too. Um, but those are the different disability categories that we, we would look at to see if a student qualified for special ed services. So when you do that, do you give a diagnosis or do you say that you see characteristics? Well, Can you diagnose. It, it's complicated I, I for him. <laughs> <laughs> He can test outside of school too. Um, oh, he's okay. he's an 
but I, he's an LPE, but I cannot. So okay. I just have my degree to work in the schools. I'm just a school, a school psychology specialist, so I cannot diagnose. I can just look at characteristics, do rating scales and things. Okay. But he, he can outside of school. Oh, so. I see. What is an LPE? So um, going through graduate school at ASU, we, we both did. And so um, we got our school psychology specialist license there. And that's that's through the Department of Education in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um but I did, um, I got some additional supervision going through grad school. Actually, um, Donna Ashley, who was my intern supervisor at Green County Tech, um, sort of pushed me in this direction. And I'm thankful that she did that. But um, I had to take a, some additional tests. And um, so LPE stands for Licensed Psychological Examiner. And that is actually licensed through the Arkansas Psychology Board. Okay. Um, and so I have two separate licensures. And like Nicole was saying, the, the school site, license, you know, you can test through the schools and do everything we do. Um, there's really no difference in what we do in the schools between me being the LPE and school psych and Nicole just having the school psych part. Um, the difference is, is that I can work in the clinical setting with that mm-hmm. LPE licensure um, and and I can do outside testing, um, which I do that quite a bit. I, I, my full-time job's here at Valley View, but um, I do quite a few outside private evaluations. Um, and that's where um, I kind of shift between the educational model and the medical model. Um, so in the schools, I'm following that the IDEA guidelines and the educational model, those different categories that Nicole mentioned. When I do private testing outside of the school, um, I'm following the DSM, which is the medical model, and I'm, I'm making diagnostic or uh, diagnoses out of that criteria. Um, a lot of the tests that I use are the same. Um, it's just that the diagnostic criteria is a little bit different, and, and I'm not making sure they meet IDEA and making sure they meet symptom counts in the DSM. Um, and so I, I do um, a lot of that. So as far as in the schools, um, I, I can't diagnose ADHD um, in the schools because that's considered a medical condition according to IDEA. So we have to have it signed off by either a, uh, like a medical doctor, any medical, anybody that has a medical degree. So a psychiatrist or a primary care physician, um, we sometimes take, um, like nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. um, can sign off. Um, but because of that criteria under IDEA, I can't actually diagnose the ADHD in the schools. Like I can, if I do it privately, okay. um, when it comes to dyslexia, we look at the criteria usually for like a specific learning disability, if they meet that. And then if they show the profile for dyslexia, I will usually go ahead and say that I, I think they meet criteria for the diagnosis. Um, it's just my own wording and, and I, the stuff that I do privately, I help a lot of like older students, um, you know, juniors and seniors, even college age, mm-hmm. um, getting accommodations for the ACT or licensing tests for like their professional careers. Um, I've worked with kids going into med school or oh. uh, massage school, um, technical schools. Like I've, I've worked with lots of different kids to get them approved for accommodations mm-hmm. on those tests. And I've just seen, even at that point, you know, that they want a history of like a diagnosis and different things. So I just know like if I test a kid in fifth grade right. and they have characteristics of dyslexia, if I say, I think they meet that criteria for a diagnosis, it just kind of makes things a little easier on down the road for them usually. But um, so since dyslexia is in the DSM now, mm-hmm. ha- say you were doing that privately, how would you word that differently than what we would do at a school setting? Not much, honestly. It's um, the wording as far as like the um, the learning disability and you can have it, you know, like in under IDEA, it's under like basic reading skills, mm-hmm. comprehension or reading fluency. Um, and it's pretty much the same categories in the DSM, maybe wording is just a little bit different. Um, and so usually I will identify, you know, which area the kid meets criteria for a diagnosis under the okay. reading disability. And I'll also specify that, you know, they have dyslexia as part of that, that phonological piece that's in there. So it's, it's honestly not a huge difference as far as that part goes, just, just wording a little bit. Do teachers understand, do they have a clear understanding when you're going over the, the various tests and the outcomes of what their next step should be? Do you feel like that we, we need to bridge a gap somewhere or do you think that's clear for them? Do you understand that question? If that makes mm-hmm. sense? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing like all the time. No, you're fine. You're fine. 
Um, I, I do think that they struggle with that. Um, I think that they struggle on the front end of it, of, you know, what's a, a good referral? Like, when should we refer? When should we not refer? Um, and then once we get our part done, um, it we do things a little differently at Valley View because we try to go to all the conferences. So when mm -hmm. we test a kid, we try really hard to make it to every conference to go over those test results. And we're very involved as far as even before the meeting, um, trying to consult with teachers, um, parents sometimes, but special ed and gen ed to try to walk them through. Um, so if the, if the general ed teacher has questions, you know, like as far as, you know, should they be pulled or how much, or what can we do to support them? Even if they are pulled into resource, what can we do when they're in here? Mm -hmm. We try to help a lot with that process. And so by the time we have the meeting to go over the test results, um, we hopefully have cleared a lot of that up and any confusion that would still be left. We just talked through in the meeting, but it helps a lot having one of us in that meeting to answer those questions, um, to kind of bridge that gap. Like you say, cause yeah. there's a lot of places like when we were at the co-op, mm -hmm. that was a lot harder and we couldn't make it to all the meetings. And so right. the teachers were holding the meetings and there's nobody there really to explain it in depth, like how we could, um, not, not, there's a lot of teachers that do a great job explaining the results. But, but that's not our expertise. Right, right. right. They've not seen the tests. So that's right. Like, that's right. right. That's not our expertise. Right. And we can go through your list and look at the, the accommodations and have a, a decent understanding, but not explain it in depth like you can. Right. I think that's important to have you mm -hmm. in those meetings with the teachers and with the parents. Yes. So when you're talking to parents, how do you make those how do you make that clear to parents so that they understand what the needs of their child is, mm -hmm. whatever those needs are, and how they can accommodate both at school and at home? Mm -hmm. I think I, I'm a mother of two dyslexic children and three dyslexic grandchildren. So I can sit down with my, my child and explain to her what needs to happen at home mm -hmm. and what they're going to struggle with. That a lot of parents don't understand. They they think, well, that we're just going to fix this at school, mm -hmm. but this is a this is a life issue. Mm -hmm. So how do you make that clear for parents? And how can you help us help the parents <laughs> as we're talking as teachers? We're talking to parents. What what do they need to understand about their child's disability at home? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, like I try to use. Um, personal experiences too, when I can, like, I, like for ADHD, for example, I have a son with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I just try to talk about, you know, things that I do at home too, to help him, you know, manage yeah. his time and, and, you know, stay more organized and like making lists and, you know, things like that. So I, I try to use personal experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. Too. Yeah. So it's, um, it varies. I mean, each parent is different. Um, being here, um, the parents are more inquisitive and they, they want to know answers to those things. They ask good questions in the meetings a lot of times. Um, and so we just try to, as far as like, if it's dyslexia stress, um, the importance of getting that multi-sensory systematic, you know, approach, um, and, and try to explain to them exactly what our role in the school or the, the dyslexia therapist and teacher, like, this is what we're going to do here to address this. And then we try to explain through our recommendations in the report or in person, you know, these are some just different ideas that you can work on at home. Um, always talk about, I think that parents underestimate how much just like exposure to print, if they can just read to the kid, especially I work in the K through two building a lot. And so it comes up with me a lot more probably than Nicole, but um, you know, just, just read to them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, just give them the language. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes parents, feel like that it's this big complicated monster they have to face and like, I don't know what to do. And like, really a lot of it is just, if you can just do some of these simple things at home to support mm -hmm. what we're going to do here at school, it makes a massive difference for it them. Sure does. Um, yeah, it really does. I mean, it's interesting that you brought up ADHD. Our mm -hmm. last two podcasts were on ADHD. <laughs> um, I have it. Um, <laughs> trifecta, I have all the things and um, my boys do mm -hmm. and one of my grandchildren but um, we said m multiple times, didn't we, Laura, you can go online and do a screener and diagnose yourself, but do not do right. that. Yes. 
you need to see an expert. There are experts who can, who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The internet is a great place to get some information, but you need to see a psychologist, you need to see a medical doctor, nurse practitioner. You need to see somebody who is an expert in the field. Let's not do that online. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, you can diagnose yourself with several things. Oh, <laughs> I'll have um, so, okay, so what I gained from your explanation there is parents need to know that there are simple things that they can do, no matter what, you know, the diagnosis is, that can help, um, and that parents need to know to ask for, if they're not giving them, but specific examples and those those simple steps that they can do, that I need to be armed, that I need to be able to... Um, I need to ask for those things if I'm not provided those examples. Yes. And they, um, the kids have the most success where there's good communication and carryover between what we're doing at school and what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. So parents just need to be, you know, not afraid to communicate with the teachers or even the school sites or whoever that they, you know, need um, guidance from. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of times if they specifically can ask the teacher, you know, regardless of the disability category, um, you know, what, what are you guys doing at school? And is there anything that you can send home? Is there anything that, that you can suggest we do here to help support what you guys are doing at school? And, you know, a lot of the teachers will, um, they have a lot of ideas of things that, that right. kind of helps connect what's happening at school where it's, it's not separate, you know, you're not, we're doing one thing at school and then the parents are just kind of pulling things out of a basket or on the internet or like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes the most difference if you can stay in that communication and really um, sort of piggyback off of what they're doing either in dyslexia therapy or the school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably the uh, most important thing that I could share with parents is just not to be afraid to communicate that and ask specifically, what are you doing and what can I do to, you know, like I said, piggyback off of that. And we usually list like websites and, and different things, resources too um, mm-hmm. on our evaluations. Yeah. So, yeah, I read some of them. They're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, Laura and I have talked about, we really think, you know, we have math night and literacy night, and we need to have a night <laughs> for experts to come in and talk about behavior and mm-hmm. learning disabilities and um, ASD and have these breakout sessions so parents can ask questions and get good information that is correct information and not misinformation. Right. Right. So we need to do that. Well, y'all need to work on that. It's, it's, <laughs> Add that to your list. <laughs> it does happen a lot where there's a lot of the diagnoses, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and a lot of parents, they're just not aware to the fact of how much screen time affects certain oh, things, how much it affects goodness. language and social skills and, and broad spectrum of behaviors. But so you've got kids that because of too much screen time, or maybe they have ADHD with some anxiety mixed and, you know, it looks like that they're on the autism spectrum, but they're not. You just need somebody that understands what they're looking at, how to test for that, to explain that to parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a lot of confusion. Um, there's just a lot of overlap and, and it's, that is also getting more complicated mm-hmm. because, because of the screens and, and. Oh, I think so too. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really our speech language numbers from year to year just have skyrocketed mm-hmm. in the last since I've been at Valley View because these kids are coming in with just such limited language and vocabulary because a lot of them are just in front of a screen. Um, no, no one's reading to, to them. Ask. No one's right. talking right. to them. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And it's not a knock against parents. A lot of parents, they, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, right. And they aren't aware of the, the neurological impact that too much screen time actually has. That's right. And they think. I know this because I'm a grandmother and I see it with my children. They think that their kids are watching something um, informational and yes. they're getting, so it's good, right. but it's just something else. That's, it's a rewiring of the brain really, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Okay. Practice interacting. Yes. <laughs> Not just taking in. And having conversations. Yes. Yeah. So in a school, who can refer? Anyone, Anyone that knows the kid. Mm-hmm. Anyone who knows the kid mm-hmm. can make a reference. Mm-hmm. Counselors, teachers, parents, okay. we could, any, anyone. And what would you recommend to those people who refer as what, what data, what documentation is 
is powerful to provide to you guys? I think a lot of people get hung up on just grades alone, um, which is, it's important, obviously, but um, grades can be misleading. Um, and that's not the only piece of data you need to look at. Um, you know, here, I know a lot of districts have dibbles um, where you're looking at lots of different areas um, as far as their, you know, reading fluency. Um, we have maze passages to look at comprehension. We also have some different um, timed math probes and different things that we use here. Um, and so, and you can use anecdotal records where, you know, the teachers just kind of keeping documentation of, of behaviors or, you know, what's going on if there's some kind of odd circumstance with the kid. Um, so writing samples, writing samples are great. Yes. Especially if it's a, you know, a dyslexia referral. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily just one piece of information that, that we want to look at. Um, I've had kids before that, you know, had mostly A's and B's, but the rest of their data was pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. And once you talk to the teacher, it's like, well, yeah, they have A's and B's, but it's because I let them redo this test or I had to sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and walk them through and read everything to them. And so sometimes those grades can be inflated. And so it's, it's really helpful from our side. Um, if the teacher, um, I'm not saying not to do those things, but just document that you're doing those things so that mm -hmm. when we get the referral and we see, oh, this kid's got A's and B's, we understand why the A's and B's are there. Um, That's true because teachers are goodwilled people. Yes. They want kids to succeed. Yes. And so they want to help them as much as they can. Mm -hmm. But then you get this information and you're like, oh my, they have A's in everything. Right. But then yeah. you look at dibbles and they're red on everything. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And that really, that bit me one year. I really was trying to help a girl. I mean, I was doing everything I could and I was doing things like you mentioned and I couldn't get her help because of her grades. And right. I thought, well, I shot myself, I've shot her and myself in the foot. Um, so maybe making sure that our um, assessments and that includes grades are grade level appropriate within the support we provide. We can do whatever we need to do for the kids, but that right. the grades and the assessment data are true. Yes. And just document whatever is being done. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. yeah. Even if you don't have a, you know, 504 plan or anything like that, um, just a teacher being a good teacher, mm -hmm. helping the kid. Um, it doesn't have to be pages and pages, but I mean, just, just brief notes of like, mm -hmm. you know, this test, the first time around was a 53, and I made them redo it and I sat down with them one-on-one, -on -one, kept them focused. And then we made a 87. Yeah. Right. Then we understand, okay, there's probably some attention issues here and it's really having a huge effect on the kid. And mm -hmm. um, so that's the information you need. You need both yeah. sets of the test and, yes. and that reflection. So, yes. but you can't really stop a referral or, or uh, teachers and parents both need to understand like, just because, a kid has decent grades doesn't mean it's a bad referral. You always want to refer and then you have the um, referral conference and you can discuss at that point, all the data, look at writing samples, get parent teacher input. And then you may decide we, yeah, we do need to go ahead and test, even though we're, we've got pretty good grades. Okay. Talk about the referral process. Cause I think this is something that a lot of people don't, don't understand, particularly parents and sometimes teachers, you know, I've, I've referred a student for a psychological exam and I did that last week and nothing's <laughs> happened. So explain that process so that people have a clear understanding about yep. there's a timeline, there's yes. due process. So yes. kind of go over that. We, if you think about, um, so, so a lot of times we have to give parents two weeks advance notice of a conference. So once that referral is made, um, you've got at least a minimum of two weeks. I mean, if the parents, the parents can waive that, but if they take that full two weeks, that's just a minimum there. And, and the referral conference notice doesn't always go out the day that the teacher makes that referral. Um, sometimes it goes to a committee in the school and, and they look at the data, you know, and, and then if the committee agrees that it needs to go on, then it goes to the special ed teacher. They have to set up a time and a date with everybody, send out the two weeks. I mean, so, you know, that process can take a little bit, um, <laughs> but if, if, if you, once you refer a kid, um, until the, t when the, t once the testing's over, you could have up to a month of just notices. So, cause you've got to have two week notice to the parent to set up the testing. And then when you're done with the testing, you've got to send out another two weeks to give them notice to come in, to go over the results. So if you think about it, like out of that window of time where we're referring to trying to get the testing done, 
a month of that practically is just sending out a notice and trying to get the conference set up. And I don't think that people understand all that, you know, plus you've got, it's a um, multidisciplinary evaluation. So it could be speech could be involved. OT, you got observations that have to be done, our testing that has to be done. So there's a lot of moving pieces, um, rating scales from parents, from teachers. And, you know, there's times that Nicole and I will have our testing done and we're waiting for two more weeks to get a rating scale back or an observation done. I mean, so um, it's never the case where we're just like, uh, no big deal. Like, just let the kids struggle. We don't care. Like, we're always trying. Um, we also have multiple kids at the same time that we're yes. working on. So um, uh, we, we are trying to get it done as fast as humanly possible. And those tests are time consuming. Yes. And we're talking about a lot of times and the reports. <laughs> Donna Ashley taught me to write the reports. So my reports are kind long, of long. Yes. Um, but I, you know, when you're dealing with an eight-year-old or a six-year-old or a seven-year or even a 10-year-old, they can only sit there mm -hmm. for so long. Yes. So you can't just sit down and do six hours of testing with a no, child. No, I can only sit there for so long. I can <laughs> too. Remember, yeah. I have ADHD. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, so just the physical act of, Mm -hmm. of assessing yes. takes can take a couple of weeks. Yeah, right? that's a great point. That's yes. like, so yesterday I worked with a kid um, and he could have sat there for six hours. Like he never complained. He just sat there, never moved. I mean, he was fine. Um, but today I pulled a kid and we had about 30 minutes max and he was out of his seat, moving everywhere. I mean, and we had to stop. I mean, cause I was just completely losing him. Um, and so his is obviously going to take longer because mm -hmm. I've got to just do it in chunks. Um, now I could make the kid sit there and, you know, just, just get numbers down on a sheet and you don't know how accurate that is. But if you want to try to get the most accurate results, you do have to kind of play off of what the kid gives you. Um, so it, it, that, that's a good point. I mean, that varies a lot from kid to kid. It does. And then you analyze all those people. <laughs> yes. And that's try a huge benefit of you being in the district that you can. Yes. Yeah. So those tests are really a synthesis of everything, aren't they? You're mm -hmm. looking at all the pieces to come up with some something. Yes. And sometimes I know you said you've said you've had to go back and give another test because this wasn't clear and mm -hmm. you needed to look deeper. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, that happens fairly often. Yeah. Yeah. OK, here's something people don't understand is the difference between a 504 and an IEP. They don't understand it. Right. I'm not sure that teachers clearly understand, especially new teachers. Mm -hmm. And I and I'm fairly certain that parents don't understand the difference. Mm -hmm. Right. So a 504, it, it just allows the students to receive accommodations. You can't actually modify the work. Okay. But an IEP, which is how you receive special ed services, allows you to actually modify. That's the work. through under IDEA. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And a 504 mm -hmm. is. Office no, of civil rights. It's, it's civil rights. Yes. It's civil rights, one civil rights and one's IDEA. How long does that follow them? Forever. I mean, as long as they need it. The IDEA, like a college, uh, my son goes to college. My son had an IEP. Mm -hmm. So he he's in college mm -hmm. and he still has mm -hmm. his IEP mm -hmm. and same for 504. So the thing, like I said earlier, that's, that's what I do a lot privately is helping kids transition from like high school to college, get, accommodations and all that kind of stuff. So um, really, honestly, once you go from like high school into college, everything essentially becomes like a 504. Um, okay. Because another big difference between the, uh, the IEP and the 504 is the IEP allows you to like modify that instruction where you can, you can pull them out of the classroom. Their grade will come from that maybe resource room um, to where you are a lot of times they're working on grade level content, but they're also teaching skills where the kid needs to be met. Um, mm -hmm. So um, that's a huge difference there between those two. It's, it's one allows you to actually be pulled out of that classroom, receive a modified curriculum. Um, and that's where it shifts. Like once you go to college, the IEP, you're not receiving a modified curriculum. You're going to the same classes, taking the same, you know, um, getting the same instruction. Um, but you're still getting those accommodations. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, you know, the IEP, you know, for lack of a better term, just sort of like morphs into a 504 okay. plan once you go to college. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the universities, well, all of them that I've ever dealt with have um, 
disability services. Thank and you. so you go there um, and every one that I've worked with, um, I've worked in for several different states and they've all been great to help make sure the kid gets everything that they need. Um, you can even get, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times like the fraternities and sororities have like note takers they use um, for like the service jobs that they do and stuff. And so they'll have those that they turn in to the disability services. So, you know, a lot of times you get access to full notes beyond just PowerPoints that are provided. Um, private area testing, extended time. I mean, um, lots of different things like that. They've been fantastic. Yes. They're fantastic to work with. Yes. I worked at the university level the past four years and like I had a list and, you know, and I also was, the students were also expected to advocate for themselves, but I was aware that they did have accommodations in some way. Yes. Um, so, and, and we went to great lengths to make sure that they were supported. So I think that's one important thing parents should know is that in college, you can also have your child supported that it doesn't end at 12th grade. Yes. And you can, I've helped, like I said earlier, once you go to college and you're going into a special field, um, any, any licensing test that you have to take, we can get accommodations on those as well. Um, you know, there's some of them are a little more strict than others, but, um, you know, we can update evaluation data, um, submit those applications. And um, I've helped kids, you know, from all different backgrounds, going into different career fields, um, get accommodations on those licensing tests um, that wouldn't have otherwise. One, I worked with one girl, um, I think year before last, and um, she was, she went to massage therapy school. She was trying to pass the licensing, couldn't do it. She had dyslexia. Um, and just worked and worked and worked. And we did an uh, updated evaluation. We applied, got our accommodations, and then she got extra time. So then she passed because she was never finishing the test, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and now she's practicing and has her license. And, you know, um, those things would not be possible if we weren't working to help get those accommodations on those licensing tests. And it has nothing to do with their intelligence or ability or anything. A lot of times, mm -hmm. like, you know, they just literally can't read fast enough to finish the test. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's very rewarding on my side to be able to work with kids and help them to, you know, access those accommodations to then go into careers that they might not otherwise be able to do without yeah. that. So what, if you guys were just sitting at lunch one day and the topic came up, like what do we wish a school psychologist that teachers knew what would you, what would be points that would be brought up in your conversation? I think one is just the time. That's that's a big, big thing. I, I just don't think they quite understand that um, how time consuming the process is, especially if you are trying to be thorough and, and you're, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you've got to reach out to previous school districts or doctor's offices, or you're calling parents or, you know, it's not one of those deals where like we just hop in there, we test and we write a little six page report and then we're done. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that that we are trying very hard to get the most accurate picture we can so that we can make the best recommendations for the kid. Um, and and I, I don't know that they quite understand that. I, I, so that that would be probably tops of my list if they knew that. Mm -hmm. um, well, you had one earlier this year, I think, that thought you just worked in that building. Yes, that so. was I was <laughs> like I said, I, I work in the K through two building. And we was having a meeting and I was like, okay, I got to run. I got another meeting in another building. And she was like, oh, I thought you just worked in our building. I was like, nope, <laughs> don't. I work no. K through 12. So, um, yeah. But they're always usually great to work with. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that sometimes they're just like, gosh, I, like you said, I referred on this day and, you know, it's taken so long. Another thing they don't understand is the our timelines never stop. So right. whether it's Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, snow days, um, I just tried to pull a kid this morning and she's been out with the flu since last Wednesday or something like that. My timelines keep ticking. I mean, so it's those things, you know, add time to the evaluation process too, but mm -hmm. um, they don't allow for that. Right. right. Or breaks, Christmas or break yeah. or Thanksgiving break. Yeah. It's still not, is it 90 days or 60, 60 to 60 test. 60 60 test. Yeah, okay. 30 to hold the conference. So okay. it, it could be up to 90 total, mm -hmm. but okay. I also would like, you know, like we said earlier, if they would um, just understand that they can come to us, like we can, Mm -hmm. we can help them. Like we're not mm -hmm. just there only to test a kid. If they need supports, 
or have questions, that's that's what we're there for too. Well, before you leave today, I've got a question about it. Okay. <laughs> so what kinds of questions do you think families should be should ask? If I'm a mom coming in, what what kinds of questions do I need to ask? Like I don't even I don't know. I've never had a kid that has had trouble. I have two older children. They did fine in school. I've got this baby. He's struggling. I don't even know what question, you know, you got to have a little bit of knowledge to ask questions. I think definitely what services are available. Okay. For sure. Services are available. Um, If a student that's not been referred for testing yet, you know, then to know that we do have, you know, the availability to, to and parents can do that. Yes. Can request. Mm -hmm. And we can like a lot are confused about whether or not we can look at dyslexia. And they think that has to be, you know, provided by an outside service. Some uh, parents come in and think that. Oh, so really? For them to know that, yeah. too, that we can do that. Yeah. Gosh, we have one of the best dyslexia <laughs> groups in the state, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Like any yeah. Um, I think a lot of parents um, don't understand what services are, are available to them mm-hmm. for free through the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had, I hate to keep bringing up the private stuff, but... Um, I've had parents come to me, you know, wanting me to test them, you know, to look at dyslexia maybe. And once I talk to them, I'm like, you know, you realize that you can have this testing done through the school and it won't cost you anything. Um, and they're like, I had no idea. And so like, I've, there's been lots of parents that I've walked through the process of like, you know, Hey, go to school, request this, you know, say, you know, I'd like to have a level two evaluation to check for characteristics of dyslexia. Um, like Nicole said, ask you know, what, what intervention services have, has my kid been getting, you know, or if they mm-hmm. haven't getting what, why not, or what's available to them? Like we're struggling here, you know? Right. Um, so, um, yeah. And then just to understand that you can, you can refer at any point. I mean, um, okay. that's actually the kid I worked with this morning. Um, he's ridiculously smart. I mean, I, I haven't scored his IQ test yet, but I know it's going to be super high. Um, but um, the referral concern was that he, he might be on the autism spectrum. And so the parent and teacher were kind of communicating and the parent was like, you know, I, uh, what do I do? And so luckily that teacher kind of knew the process and told her, you know, you can make the referral. So they did. Um, and so we're, we're mainly doing the testing, you know, looking at those behaviors to mm-hmm. see if he meets that criteria because autism is a category. Um, and even though he's very smart and he understands the academic side of things, some of those behaviors are starting to kind of pop up and in, in the interfere. older they get. Yes. Yeah. So, shows it more. um, so that's, that was a parent referral that, you know, just made the referral because there's some behavioral concerns there. So, um, is there anything we need to understand about IQ testing? It's important. Um, I, I would say that the, there's a lot of people, you know, over the last several years that have kind of, got away from it a little bit and acted like that, you know, IQ doesn't really matter as much. And, um, my opinion, I think Nicole agrees, like it, it does matter because I've seen it for my whole career for the most part, when you've got cognitive deficits, they line up with academic deficits, or if you've got cognitive strengths, a lot of times there's, um, academic strengths or there's social or behavioral strengths that go along with it. There's a lot of things that line up with where your IQ is. Um, and especially the IQ test that you do now, you can look at so many different areas, um, mm-hmm. working memory and processing speed and, you know, your verbal and nonverbal ability. And, um, so, um, I've tested a kid before that, that they thought had dyslexia and through the IQ testing was the first time that we realized that it might be a visual processing issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a little bit further testing, looking at that and that confirmed what the IQ showed, ended up going to the eye doctor and, and it was a, they had a pretty major visual issue going on there, not acuity, but they're, Visual they're tracking and processing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm saying a lot, but no, that, the, that, the IQ is hugely important. Yeah. It tells I, us a lot more I than agree. just a number. It is more than just <laughs> yes, a number. I, sure. I, I had a student in another school where I worked who I did a, a level two screener. The mother thought she had dyslexia. I, of course, I I'm, I'm, don't have the credentials to give an IQ test, but I can give a KBIT, which is a screener. Mm-hmm. And I gave it and it was just weird to me the way she responded, almost like she wasn't understanding what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And the things she said back to me didn't make sense. So I call our friend Donna Mm -hmm. and she comes over and it turns out the child had an auditory processing Mm -hmm. issue and Donna was able to refer her then to an audiologist. Yes. So Mm -hmm. it, I do think it's important and Mm -hmm. I don't want to dismiss the importance of it because Mm -hmm. it tells you a lot of information. Or sometimes like if they have low low, uh, verbal intelligence and higher nonverbal, it could be a language issue. Or if you see like working memory deficits and processing speak deficits, it could be like an attention Mm -hmm. issue. So it tells us a lot. lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've caught a lot of kids over the years, um, referred for language evaluations mm-hmm. and they ended up qualifying for speech language therapy. And it was the IQ test that helped us kind of pick up on that because mm-hmm. um, that verbal was so suppressed. So it's this whole big, just plethora of tests that mm-hmm. you do to try to come up with the best services yes. to help children. That's it's, what's important. Yes. It's yes. not about putting a label on kids. No. Right. It's about mm-hmm. finding the best services Yes. for each child. Right. That's we tell parents all the time that, the, the testing process is just to gather information so that then we can come together and make an informed and educated decision as far as what is best moving forward. That's, that's really the, what the process is as, I mean, yeah, you, you, you put these labels out there, you diagnose a kid, but that's just a means to an ends. Like you're doing that so that you can get the services that you need, mm-hmm. whether it's accommodations or dyslexia therapy or sometimes medication management or whatever. Um, that that's the important side of it. It, it doesn't, change who the kid is or anything like that. It's just, this is the services that we need. And by identifying what's going on, that's what allows us to access those services. Mm-hmm. So. And it helps us advocate for kids mm-hmm. and it helps parents advocate for their children. As yes. Well. Anything else, Laura? Oh, no. I've so good, isn't it? Dan, yeah. I think it's just, um, I'm really glad you had this idea because I think, <clears throat> Well, in all schools I've worked in has have, have had a school psychologist, but it's kind of been a mystery about all the details. And so I think this will be very powerful for teachers to hear. Well, we appreciate you coming. Yeah, you bet. Stayed late after school. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. I know you have a you have a child. You have a child. I have a four year old. Yeah, four year old. Mine are sixteen and eighteen. So oh, you cannot. <laughs> Yes. No. Okay, then you can't be my daughter. <laughs> my younger sister. Uh, all right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please share this. I mean, this this information is going to be powerful for just about anybody, especially any parents um, and your fellow teachers. So please share and any previous episodes. We appreciate it. And we want to help as many people as possible. Don't forget to download and like yes people find us it sure does and hey why not just give us a five-star rating to people and that'd be absolutely while you're at it (laughs) all right um we will see you next time guys bye-bye